Welcome to America This Week from the Harris Poll with John Gersma, myself, and Libby Rodney. Libby, what's going on? Hey, John. How are you doing? Happy Friday. I'm so excited. There's a lot to get into. We have a theme of this episode called temperature checks. <laughs> and what we're going to do this morning is look at the mindset of the American consumer. We've got the brand new hot off the presses, what, 45 minutes ago, release of the Consumer Price Index, otherwise known as the CPI. And we're also going to look at uh, traditional office thinking being pushed back uh, on workers as they're being forced back into work. So there's temperature there. What else do we have, Libby, on terms of temperatures? Yeah, well, it's um, June is men, Men's Health Month, so we're looking at what men think about their health. And then also it's Pride Month, so we looked into how LGBTQIA employees are um, looking, thinking about their internal pride celebrations at corporations. All right, awesome. Well, should we talk CPI? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So yeah, I thought it was real interesting. Uh, the, the consumer price index was released this morning, as we mentioned. And for those of you that are not familiar with it, this is the the basic measurement on a monthly average to understand the changes in consumer prices. So they measure a basket of goods and services, and it's basically a barometer for inflation. And inflation again soared uh, through May. It is now at eight point six percent. And just to sort of put that in context, that's the highest level in more than 40 years. They go on to say that consumer grocery bills are now up 10% since January, which is something not seen since the 80s. And if you're out driving around the country, gas is $4.97 on average, which is not making people happy, particularly those that are commuting. Um, so I, I thought it might be interesting to kind of look, Libby, a little bit at the Harvard-Harris poll data. Mm -hmm. to try to see where where American voters are. And this is data from about um, a week ago. And what we can see is that American voters don't like it, right? Two thirds mm -hmm. of American voters think the economy is weak. That's up six points from April. But really the more important thing we look at is how do you feel about the economy uh, on your personal level? And here's where it really gets interesting. You know, 56% of American voters say that their personal financial situation is getting worse, and that is up eight points. And what's also important on that is that they continue to be worried about their future with respect to being able to afford living expenses. And where do they place that blame, Libby? Like place it with the president, which I think is quite interesting because it's difficult for the president to usually control inflation, but. Um, Biden's approval hangs at 41% from last month. But when you go into the numbers, American voters see the inflation as the number one priority among 40%. And that is up seven points from the past month. And I think when you get into this inflation, Libby, you start to see what Americans really say, right? 68% say inflation is a very serious issue in our country right now. And 47% blame the president versus 25% blame <laughs> Vladimir Putin and 17% the Fed. What do you make of that? 
I mean, yeah, I mean, you just look for one throat to choke, right? This is the way that (laughs) consumers also look at corporations. So they're like, hey, it's our president, it's our problem. Um, But, you know, Putin has a lot of responsibility in terms of the energy, uh, the rise of energy costs with the the invasion of Ukraine. So um, I would put a little bit more blame on Putin as well. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's it's interesting, too, about American voters. They seem to be grabbing the narrative back into the stimulus spending. We asked another question um, where basically voters believe that Biden's spending fueled consumer demand and inflation. 63% of Americans today want Biden, and this is Republicans and Democrats, want Biden to be more fiscally responsible versus 37% want them to press more for entitlement expansions. And I thought that was kind of interesting because if you step back and think about it, it was really low interest rates that fueled consumer spending. You then had the stimulus money out of COVID. Then you had this crazy consumer demand as things started to open back up and the supply chain snarls. And you kind of get this entire sort of pressure on wages with the unemployment rate being low. And it seems to be laying in the president's lap. And we see this in the data you know, 56% of voters are not confident in Biden's ability to fight rising inflation. And the same basically goes for the Fed. And interestingly, Libby, in our Milken Institute survey, we actually contrasted uh, business leaders against consumers. And you can see that business leaders thought were more likely to think that inflation would taper off um, at 33%. And you had American voters, only 16% thought that it would taper off. And you go through those numbers, basically American voters are far more pessimistic than business. So you pull all that together into the bully bays of anxiety over the economy, and you get 63% of American voters saying the country's on the wrong track, and 49% believing we're going to be in a recession in the next year. So, I mean, Libby, how do you sort of take all these numbers I've just sort of garbled out and apply <laughs> this to retailers. You know, you've got yeah. a very challenging environment here. This has been a really hot week for retailers um, with the news of Target and just the, the utter misforecasting. We see Target in the news, Macy's in the news, Gap in the news, American Eagle. Everyone has misaligned uh, their inventory on this and there's a couple of things at play one is shifting expectations of consumers so they don't want to spend any more on like their home goods or their outdoor furniture like the shift has happened so quickly where consumers are either spending on basic necessities because the inflation is really hurting their wallet or with mm. consumers who have more income to spend more discretionary income they're spending on travel and so they're just pushing their money into experiences And so it's just, it's distinctly different. And then the other thing that retailers have had a really big issue with is that the supply chain snafus have actually messed up their windows. So they used to not have to order so much in advance. And now they're finding themselves ordering months and months in advance to kind of curtail curtail the supply chain issue hiccups. But then also it's just challenging for retailers to predict what consumers want, you know, six months in advance, a year in advance. So we're seeing major retailers like The Gap and others, Macy's, saying they're going to hold on to their inventory and try to resell it in 
the next fall season and their next spring season instead of having kind of a fire sale versus Target is predicted to have a huge kind of fire sale on um, outdoor goods and TVs and things like that. So if you do have some discretionary money and you were planning on buying something from Target, like wait for that sale because it's going to probably a one-time thing and all retailers are expected to get much smarter at figuring out this inventory management as inflation concerns continue to pressure cons the consumer market. Black Friday in June. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for, for a certain subset of saver-based consumers, this is kind of exciting news, but for the market overall, they don't, you know, the, the stock market in particular doesn't love to hear this news. And then retailers, I think, just have a lot of pressure to figure out how to meet consumer trends while also meeting supply chain issues, right? And, and that's a, mm -hmm. it's a really challenging thing. Well, speaking of temperatures, you've got a story <laughs> on the guy who refuses to leave the news. Yeah, so Elon Musk is always in the news because he's got kind of an opinion about everything, which makes him kind of entertaining as researchers to, to follow and, and understand if he's aligned with American opinions or if he isn't. And I was a little bit wrong on this. I thought American workers would be against Elon Musk's and Elon Musk has been in the news last week because he in, emailed his employee base saying that he expects all workers to be in the office a minimum of 40 hours a week. And so we thought that was a little bit of, you know, old, old traditional office thinking kind of coming back to play. So we, we wanted to get out there and pull American workers and overall two thirds. So 64% of Americans agree with Elon Musk's requirement of having his return to the office. But this is particularly driven by um, Republicans who we also know are Elon Musk fans of late millennial men at 71% millennials at 68% and employed by 65%. So a little less if you're the actual types of people going into the office. He also detailed why it was important for his leadership to be important uh, in person. And 73% of Americans believe that managers, executives, and other company leaders should be working in office more. And then we asked, uh, what does this mean for Tesla's operations? And people overall were pretty, they agreed that more in-person work for Tesla in particular would create more of an innovation advantage and it would also have higher quality if there was more in-person work. So that idea, we thought it might actually go the opposite way that, you know, this is a signal that they don't understand the future of work, but Americans were saying, Hey, no, you know, having more people, especially in a, in an automotive company in person, looking at these vehicles is probably a good thing. However, Americans don't expect that means that Tesla will be able to hold on to talent. And 65% think Tesla employees will start looking for more flexible jobs. And six in 10 say it's unfair to change the requirements of those who could easily stay remote. So Tesla overall, they say that's probably a good thing, but where the workforce is going, people don't see Tesla as kind of being the, the, the canary in the, in the coal mine for that. They see it's like, no, 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 Tesla can do that. But overall, Americans are still likely to want to work remote. And when we asked Americans themselves about going back to the office, only 29% of employed Americans would choose to work from an office permanently, whereas 
37% would want to work remote and 34% would choose to work hybrid. So we see the highest number of Americans want to work remote at this point. And of those who are working currently in an office, only 47% would choose to stay at the office full time. So of the people kind of being forced back, only half of them. So we, we see this big shift. It's like very, I don't know, John, what you've, what you've seen. I mean, we're seeing this big shift of corporate leaders pulling people back into the office saying, this is the future inflation. The economy is kind of shifting the tables on employees' rights. And now we're kind of seeing, I think, a little bit of an understanding of, of where gains have been made with employees and return to the office, you know, I mean, working from home versus, mm -hmm. you know, big corporate leaders wanting people to return to the office. How do you, how do you kind of see that narrative playing out? Yeah. I mean, I think it's real interesting. We've, we've talked a little bit about how during COVID and some data that we released not too long ago that, you know, BIPOC workers and, and women workers found significant gains as professionals by actually working uh, in a remote setting, which to me sort of as a, as a corporate leader sitting in my office right now by myself, I might add, <laughs> um, as, as it was very illuminating, right? Because I, I do think there has to be a, a shifting understanding of what culture is and, and where mm -hmm. culture is, is it, it's not just in the office, having everybody whiteboard, it's, it's sort of the camaraderie that you can build. Um, across uh, Zoom screens, I guess, at times. But I do think it's real interesting what you have in here where it suggests that there's sort of becoming a bifurcation of a third of people that just want to be in the office and two thirds that just want to be sort of hybrid remote. So I, I just wonder what offices are going to look like in the next several years because there are hardcore groups of, of folks that, that do really miss it. And I know that we've seen in our data that includes younger workers, particularly younger men, um, Gen Z and millennial men. So I don't know. I, I find that really interesting. Yeah, it's definitely something to watch for. Absolutely. Um, another thing to watch for uh, that is a, a common theme, about as common as the, the fact that men don't ask for directions, <laughs> is apparently in a brand new uh, Harris Poll survey with Orlando Health, uh, healthcare system that was in Health Day, we find that actually um, men dramatically overstate their health. Uh, they think they're healthier than they are. And um, what was really interesting, I think, Libby, in this data is that two thirds, 65 percent of men view themselves as healthier than others. And one third <laughs> don't bother with annual checkups, um, which is really interesting because it's not statistically possible for 65% of men to be healthier than the average. So there's this dramatic sort of overconfidence, I guess, just the same way that I know where I'm going when I'm driving the car that uh, I know my health is great. But um, I mean, beyond the jokes on that, that, that does get really uh, interesting uh, and concerning rather that, that you have a third of men that are so confident and their health that they're not get foregoing their annual checkups. And the other thing I thought Libby that was really kind of shocking in this data is that uh, 38% of our, of our men in the Harris survey said they get their health advice from social media. <laughs> and lastly, two in five men, a same number at 38% admitted 
to focusing on their pet's health more than their own. <laughs> Libby, what do you make of this? Well, the pet's health thing does not surprise me because in a previous study <laughs> we did about um, pet parents, we found that millennial men were the most likely ones to give their pets birthday parties. So for mm. a while, we've known that um, men actually are big pet pampers and that I, so I'm like, okay, that makes sense that they would focus on their pet's health. I just, I'm so curious, John, like, you know, the, the question comes to my mind of like, how do you right size an overconfident narrative, right? So it's like, they're overconfident in their, in their health, even if they have no stats to prove that. So, you know, what are the, the tools and the methods and, and the ways to get people not to be, you don't want them less confident in a negative way, but just to, to level set um, any issues or, or tracking that needs to go on. And I don't know if like, you know, wearables plays a, a big role in that or mm -hmm. more gamification so that you can kind of understand where you're at. Not that you just look at the guy next to you and say, ah, at least I'm not that guy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's right. I think you, you have to have sort of more in a relationship, whether it's the Garmin watches or the Apple watches. But I also think it's interesting when you have four in 10 men saying they get their health advice from social media, that to me sort of, sort of screams misinformation, echo chambers, right? And how that sort of, that sort of system might actually be contributing to a, a public health crisis. You know, I'm, I'm on the board of the National Kidney Foundation and, and we see with kidney disease, you have seven out of 10 people um, are, are in the early stages of kidney disease. They don't know they have it, right? Mm. So it is really important to get those annual checkups. So I think this is definitely um, something to watch. The other part of this story um, was a, a new fast company, Harris Poll. Libby, I'd love your take on this mm -hmm. around employees still being afraid to discuss mental health at work. And obviously we know mental health is becoming a huge subject of, of, of interest in our, in our society. But when it comes to the workplace, 86% of employees say mental health awareness at work is important to them, but, and rather 77% believe <laughs> workplace mental health isn't talked about enough. But while 81% of those working adults believe their employers have an obligation to prioritize employees' mental health. Only 30% say that their employer is providing access uh, to that mental health. So I, I'm just curious sort of where you see um, this sort of delta and particularly in this data, this hesitancy that people have to discuss their mental health. Yeah, it's it's super interesting because you know it also ladders back to to men and um, men as kind of a dominant force of the workplace. You know, there mm. it's it's like um, I think until those benefits are really clear, until those practices are really clear, and it's accepted more as behavior versus like this thing that we do. Um, it like that's where the that's where the gap starts to close, you know. And it's it's interesting in data that we've had, we've shown that um, employees, especially Black and Hispanic employees, want um, to get well. Black, Hispanic, and LGBTQIA employees want more health, want more um, mental health benefit services. Like those are key drivers for them uh, as unique um, points of 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 
benefits. So Mm -hmm. I think it's like, it's an interesting thing that um, companies can really consider how do we package this up? How do we make it a platform and how do we prioritize it? And not just like, here's the headspace, here's your annual membership, um, go talk about it in, in the workplace. It really needs to be kind of baked into part of culture. And because it's kind of a new thing that hasn't been talked about before, I think it's it's going to take some time, but it's also going to take kind of a, a process-based approach of unrolling it. Yeah. And I think the other really important part about this, and you and I both are huge champions of wanting to continue to see chief human resources officers become innovation leaders in companies. And I, I personally believe that that entire people part of the business is going to be just so incredibly important for, for corporate advantage in the future. But you need to have um, those CHROs roles you know, broadened. You need to have public health experts that are inside corporations that are understanding these issues. Maybe it's counselors, maybe it's wellness mm-hmm. consultants. It just seems like there needs to be a, a real reimagining uh, of the workplace to, to address this issue. Yeah, I mean, um, just to add, and, and we'll move on, but it, the reason is, is because we were in a huge shift to burnout culture before we even got to the pandemic. Totally. So we're in this massive wave, we have to unrewind it and figure it out. Um, and that's, that's a huge opportunity for companies that really get it right. Um, but yeah, the, the, should we get jump into the last story? Yeah, let's do it. Great. Well, happy Pride Month, everyone. Um, we thought we would do a story on, you know, um, there's been a lot of news around Pride celebrations, um, marketing, what companies are doing right, wrong, rainbow washing, rainbow capitalism. So we thought we'd kind of go on one specific topic and ask um, employees, LGBTQ, AI employees, IA employees, um, what their companies were doing. How did they feel supported? Um, (laughs) What internal um, pride campaigns were working? What external pride campaigns were working? And just kind of hear from there. So overall, we... Um, the LGBTQIA community feels that seven in 10 um, report that their own companies have made significant efforts to support them. Um, and those efforts are coming from a couple of things. The, the biggest ones are shared personal pronouns. That's at 47%. Um, 44% say their companies are encouraging diverse applicants in the recruiting process. 38% report donation to LGBTQIA um, organizations that match employee contributions. 32% report offer e- offering equal family leave. And then 32% are using vendors that openly support the LGBTQIA community. So I think it's like the easiest checkboxes are happening around preferred pronouns, but then, you know, it, it'd be nice to see the, the bigger things like equal family leave and the things that uh, cost companies more money to, to kind of grow in numbers over time. Um, but overall, so that's kind of the support um, that community sees companies, you know, really trying to make an effort in, in some ways, but in terms of their pride celebrations, they're <laughs> kind of a miss. So 62% of LGBTQIA employees report that their companies celebrate pride internally. However, less than half say that these initiatives are authentic, 
Um, they really rank low on being impactful and they rank pretty low on being meaningful. Meanwhile, nearly a third report that the celebrations are tacky, insensitive, off target <laughs> and rushed. And so it's, it's just, it's like, you can see these corporate missteps that are happening. Um, however, so there's something happening about within an organization of who's owning the internal pride celebrations. Um, but from a marketing point of view, LGBTQIA employees are giving their uh, marketing department much higher ratings. So half of them report that their companies have had a pride-related marketing and social media campaign. And among those, 94% feel that the uh, campaigns were authentic. Um, and 68% said they were very authentic. So the marketing campaigns that corporations are running from an, an internal employee point of view are doing a really good job. Like they're, they're, they've got the message, they've understood what authenticity means, how to like come back to the communities. Um, and I think it's because over the last couple of years, there's been tons of backlash on, um, you know, rainbow capitalism and just putting mm -hmm. uh, a flag on everything. And so companies have kind of heard that and, and figured it out. Um, and we just thought it'd be fun to highlight what Taco Bell's doing. So Taco Bell actually has created um, a drag brunch. Um, so it's a drag show at Taco Bell. Uh, it's about an hour show. It's five city tour, uh, five city tour, ten show, um, and it's it started actually before. Um, the pride celebration and it's 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 something that they're going to continue to do um ongoing probably not just during june but it came from taco bell's lgbtq um i employees base and it was their idea and so they brought it up um and they executed on it and it it's just kind of a really fun way of of celebrating the culture in a way that's authentic to uh, drag queens, the community, and is something kind of joyous that that Taco Bell has done with, um, in you know, in hand in hand, lock and step with their employee base. That's super interesting. So it sounds like companies overall are getting a an A on policies and on marketing. But when it comes to sort of parties <laughs> or the manifestation of the of the culture, like that's more of a C. Do you think there's a culture problem in that? Is there something going on or, or should you apply the logic of the? No, of the that's a really good point. You know? It's a, it's a really good point. It's like, um, like uh, and this is what we kind of, of see. Yeah. This is kind of what we see, right? It's easy to get marketing right in some ways because that's your external thing um, and effort and, and marketers are very skilled at that, but it's harder to get culture right and harder to get it right on a, um, on a real authentic basis on on a day-to-day -day basis and i think the other really important thing to consider with pride black history month aapi month hispanic awareness mm -hmm. month all of it is that they're points of celebration but they have to be considered long-term ways to elevate uh in these employee groups and not just like okay here we are it's your month you know it's your spotlight you know so um i think employees are just also getting more skeptical of these, just like, we're going to celebrate you this month, but we're not going to um, authentically link it back to you, your stories as employees, who you are, your community groups, et cetera. So I think there's just a, a little bit of work to be done there in terms of incorporating them in the actual corporate culture. I think it's a great point. Maybe we should leave it there and um, 
get into what hopes hopes to be a, a nice weekend. But uh, this is America this Absolutely. week from the Harris Poll, right? With Libby and John. Libby, any last thoughts as you go into the weekend? No, I just hope that everyone gets sunshine and has barbecues and does all the things that are good for spring and summer. <laughs> okay. Drop us a note at America this week, uh, Libby Rodney and John Gersma. We've got a newsletter of the same on LinkedIn and uh, send us your polling ideas. We'd love to to put some polls together uh, on what listeners are, are thinking is important. Awesome. Libby, have an awesome weekend, okay? You too, John. Thanks. All right. Take care, everybody.